This week is the first week of Advent. Advent begins four Sundays before Christmas, and and during this time we look ahead to the gift of Jesus that we were given oh so long ago. This year for Advent, we'll be going through a series titled The Voices of Promise. All through Scripture, we have different voices, different, different people proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. We're going to take the next four weeks and we're going to look at some of those voices. We'll be in Psalms where the poet David writes about the coming of the Savior. We'll listen to the proclamation of the prophets, specifically Isaiah. We'll hear the voice in the wilderness, the songs, the songs of angels will send us to the manger. So many voices of promise in Scripture, so much hope. And today we start with the first voice. This is not just the first voice of promise, it is the first voice. This is the voice of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the voice that creates. The voice that spoke and said, let there be light, and there was. Through this voice, the world was brought into being. On the first day, God created light. And then he separated the light from the dark, creating day and night. On the second day, he created the sky by separating water from water. On the third day, he separated the water that was below by creating dry ground, and so doing, he created land and seas. And then this voice proclaimed that the dry ground would produce vegetation, and so it grew plants and trees. It grew tomatoes and lilacs, both great towering redwood trees and strong, lasting oaks, and all the greenery that we see around us. On the fourth day, his voice created the stars in the sky, the galaxies that surround our little planet, and with those stars came our sun to govern our day and our moon to govern our night. On the fifth day, this voice called for living creatures to live in the water and birds to fill the skies, every creature under the sea from the smallest plankton to the strangest deep sea fish to the largest whale was created by this voice. The birds of the air, majestic, powerful, free to fly and to go wherever the wind may take them, wherever they wish, all called into being by this voice. On the sixth day, this voice created the living things that roam the lands, the wildebeest, the lions, the elephants, the dogs, the cats, the monkeys, and the rats. On the sixth day, he created man, male and female. He created them in his image. He created mankind in his own image, in the image, the likeness of God. And so mankind was put over, put in charge of the rest of creation. They were set up as the caretakers of what this voice had called into being. And God blessed them, telling Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to have many kids and to govern the world well. God showed them all that he had created and encouraged them to subdue this wild place, to drink from its rivers, to sleep under its trees, and to eat from its bounty. And then on the seventh day, the voice rested. 
He declared the seventh day holy and rested. He looked out over all that he had created and saw that it was good. And it was good. It wasn't evil. It wasn't bad. It wasn't polluted. It wasn't decaying. It was good. Now Adam and Eve were given free reign over this creation, the voice called into existence, except for one tree. There was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not allowed to eat from. Everything else, go for it, man. But this tree, not for you. And this is where our text picks up this morning. Let's read Genesis 3. Chapter 1, or sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to verse 15 together. We read the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the... We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and, and I ate So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, I will put hatred between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Amen. This past week, one of my sons was telling us a story around the dinner table about how some of the kids in his class were acting up, they were misbehaving. They're messing with one of, the, one of the other boys in class in a particularly disrespectful way. And typically when these things happen, it's, it's just those who are doing the wrong that get punished. But my son was especially frustrated with this particular situation because the punishment was not just handed down to the kids who were picking on their peer. The punishment was handed down 
to the whole class. Everybody received the consequences for the actions of the few. This is also what happens as a result of our text this morning. You see, the curse didn't stop where we stopped reading. It, it wasn't just the serpent who the voice curses. It is Adam and Eve as well. It is those who were made in the image of God and yet who disobeyed him, betrayed him, hurt him. We call this passage the fall. For the consequences of the actions of this passage affect not just Adam and Eve and the serpent. All of creation is affected by this sin. All of creation feels the ramifications of this act. God created. The voice spoke into being and he saw that all, he'd, all that he had created was good. But now because of this act of disobedience, all of creation is tainted. It has fallen from goodness. My boys came back from a birthday party one day with a party favor. It looked like, like a big plastic top with, with, with a launcher. You would, you would like crank the top and then, and then you'd press the button and, and, the, and the top would spin and, and lights would go everywhere and it would play a, a song that, that at first was, I don't know, it was kind of nice, I guess. But after a while, man, that thing got annoying. It was ridiculous. But my kids loved this thing. I'd hear that music echoing through our house and the pounding of feet, like dancing constantly. And then one day, the top took a particularly hard fall. I'm not saying it was pushed. It might have been pushed. It would still sit in the launcher and it would still spin, but... The music didn't play very steadily anymore. It was, it would kind of like jerk in and out. Like it wasn't, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't, it didn't really work with the music as well anymore. And the lights, they didn't light up. No longer was this like the party top. It would still kind of work. But for all intents and purposes, it was broken. Because of the fall, the world was broken. Not split in two broken, but broken like a toy that after a particularly hard fall never works quite the same again. It no longer functions as it was intended to function. And so we are all living in this broken world, a world of heartache, a world of pain, a world where doctors fight diseases that they don't have cures to, a world that is decaying, that is falling apart, a world where Nice guys seem to finish last, where lying and conniving is almost mandatory in order to get yourself into places of political power. And it's justified because now that you have the power, you can act some change, some, some good. <laughs> the earth itself grumbles and shakes, earthquakes and tsunamis, forest fires and hurricanes, tornadoes and floods, storms and drought. The earth is not getting better. The frequency of these events is rising. And please don't see this as a political statement, but instead see it as what it is. Recognition that our world is not healing. It's not improving itself. It is decaying. It is becoming less and less stable. This is all because of the fall. The world, just like the people living in it, is, is broken. Affected by sin. 
It's not fair, my son protested loudly at the dinner table that night. It's not fair that because a couple kids were acting out, a couple kids were doing something bad, that we all had to suffer for it, that we all didn't get to go out for recess. We all had to stay inside. It was a beautiful day. We got to watch all the other kids playing, but we had to stay inside. That's not fair, man. I didn't do it. I wasn't part of that. Can we relate to my son? Do we sometimes think that if it had been us in that garden that we would have chosen differently? That we would not have eaten from the forbidden fruit that we would have been, that we would have spared humankind its suffering and that the world would be a better place. That the world would not be broken. I'm sure we've all had moments where we've entertained this thought. I'm sure we've all had moments where we believe that we could do better than Adam and Eve. But I know that we have all had moments where we were convinced that we would not commit a particular sin. Where we were so secure, so sure that we could resist the temptation. We fell back into it anyway, didn't we? The same weakness that was present in Adam and Eve is present in us. We would have each done the same thing that they did. We would have each failed as spectacularly as they did. And so for this spectacular failure, there needed to be a spectacular remedy. The fall isn't a fun passage to read, but there is a piece of the curse. There's a piece of the fall that is a total and complete blessing. It's been called the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first good news or the first gospel. And it is found in Genesis 3, verse 15, where we read, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. As part of the curse for the serpent, God proclaims the serpent's defeat. For in this piece of the curse in the Proto-Evangelium, God is talking about Jesus. He's talking about the answer to the problem, the solution to the fall. He's saying that Christ will crush the head of Satan, the devil, the accuser, the tempter, the liar, the adversary. Jesus will come to crush him, to deal with him and his kind and his followers. But in that dealing, in saving us from Satan through Through this work, though Jesus would ultimately be victorious, he would also be wounded. And he was wounded. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, where the prophet writes that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. But in the same place we read about this wound, we also read about how his wounds are healed. And that through his wounds we are healed. Jesus came to restore us. Jesus came to fix what went wrong in the fall. I love this picture. It it never ceases to amaze me. Here we have this this brand new world. Everything is fresh and clean and rocking that, that new car smell. 
All the things are functioning as intended, and then along comes man, along comes Adam and Eve, and we ruin all of it. We throw a wrench into the gears and mess everything up, mess up the goodness. And then you have the creator, the one who made everything exactly how he intended it to be, and he made it good. And he knows that the things have been thrown out of whack. He knows that the spinning top isn't playing its music correctly, and the lights aren't coming on anymore. And he goes looking for the ones that he has made in his own image. He goes looking for Adam and Eve. And when he finds them, he asks them, what's going on? Why are are they behaving differently, differently? Why are they hiding? Why are they wearing clothes? Why are they feeling shame? And they confess to the wrongs they've committed. And this is a huge deal. They were given one thing. That is off limits. One thing that they were not supposed to do. And they went out and they did it. Man, it's a good thing that I'm not God. Because I think my first inclination would have been just to wipe them out and start over. This is God. He is an eternal, all-powerful being. He brought forth all of creation with his voice. And now that it was broken, it's a wonder he didn't just wipe the slate clean and start again. But he didn't. And he didn't wipe the slate clean because he wasn't strong enough or because he, wasn't, he was impatient, right? Like those aren't the reasons that he didn't start over again. He had the power, the ability. He's eternal. He has all the patience he needs. He didn't wipe the slate clean because he loved Adam and Eve. He didn't wipe the slate clean because he loves you and he loves me. And so the scene is set and it's time for some divine discipline and and God starts with the snake. He starts with Satan, with Lucifer, the fallen angel, the great deceiver and in the middle of his proclamation of discipline while the wound is still fresh Well, God's hurt is still real, God not only proclaims discipline, but he also proclaims grace. He proclaims the solution to the problem. The voice of God promises Jesus. The grace of that. The truth of that. They overwhelm me. The voice that brought all of creation into being is also the voice that promises the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Savior, the coming of hope for all mankind. As we go through this Advent season, this wonderful time of year, preparing for the celebration of the coming King, I pray that you would be encouraged by the voices of promise. The voices that tell us of the coming of Jesus. The voices that praise the gift of Jesus. And what that gift, what that coming of Jesus means for each of us. It's a wonderful time of year. What a wonderful, fantastic, loving, and gracious God that we serve. Amen.